Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. back it's time for another edition of terry's talking cleveland.com podcast i'm david campbell sports manager at cleveland.com alongside terry pluto plain dealer and cleveland.com columnist terry is out in balmy i think it's balmy and sunny arizona although i heard you were telling me there was rain out there yesterday right yeah it was raining in the 60s but it's supposed to go to 80s and i'm not going to certainly complain about it so yeah uh, we finally got some sun and we're getting some 60s in cleveland today so um, how are things out there so far? We can talk about the Guardians in a little bit, but um, you're all settled in, in in Arizona and you got to see some baseball yesterday, which was good. Yeah, that was nice. And this is, um, for me, it's an important spring training because I need just to see some of these players, not only at the big league camp, I want to go down to the uh, minor league thing and see like Gabriel Arias, who just got sent down, Rich, Richie Palacios. I want to see if I could see Daniel Espino pitch and some of these guys. The Guardians have spent the last three or four years trading off veterans for prospects and then also, you know, drafting their own. But I want to, they feel that's part of the reason that you haven't seen a lot of big moves to bring anybody else. It's time for a number of these guys to play. And so they want to give their own guys a shot because you could argue they don't want to spend the money. But I do think, you know, a year ago where they didn't have, uh, much confidence in some people. Remember, they went out and signed Rosario and they went out and signed Cesar Hernandez. Um, this year, they just felt that they they want to play Chang at second base. They want to see if the Rosario can play the outfield. They want to see if to start Andres Jimenez could play shortstop. They want to see this because they think it's the best way to build a team for the next few years. Well, do you want to just get into the Guardians right now? We can, since you're there, and we can. Yeah, we, let's just, let's do, just it. do that first. All right. So, th- well, Terry, the big news this week, the new Guardian song that came out. I've not heard it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's going to replace the, uh, what was it called, Tribe Time. So um, anyway, that's not the big story of the week. Yeah, the big that story was, of the that week. Was the problem there. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're talking to Ramirez, you know, this week, and they, they've been talking for a while. Paul Hines reported that a while ago, and they're, they're still talking. And um, I do think they're going to make some sort of an effort to sign him. Now, whether it happens or not, I don't know. But if you're the Guardians – you can't turn around and give this guy an eight or 10 year contract. I don't think unless it's, well, you can't do 10 years or 12 years, you know, these kind of Lindor uh, type things, but you might be able, he's got two years left. You might be able to do it. That I think if that won't change everybody's opinion of the team, but it would really help to have a core player 
you know, basically say, I'm going to stay. And that would uh, be something very positive. The other thing, I'm pretty sure they're going to talk to Bieber again. And I'm going to write a column about this. David, I just think when most of these young pitchers, I don't care what team you're with, when you're offered a chance at, at a pretty decent exp- extension, grab it. You really should grab it because uh, you just don't know when arm injury is going to. I mean, last year he missed like half of the year. Remember with arm problems, Bieber did. Uh, you could talk to Corey Kluber. You could talk to uh, Carlos Carrasco. Ask them of Jake Westbrook going back. All those guys actually signed uh, extensions with the uh, with Cleveland, and they, they ended up having injury problems. They're very glad they signed those deals. And a guy who walked away from, I heard, at least $28 million was Mike Clevenger. And he is now coming back from his second Tommy John elbow surgery. I think position players could take more risk. But, man, if you're a pitcher the first time around and that money looks pretty good, you should grab it because you just don't know how the line that arm's going to last. Well, I and mean, we just in recent years, I mean, you see a guy like Kipnis take a deal like this and it works out yeah. for him. And But you're right with pitchers. It's a completely different game. And you never know when something's going to twinge or pop or, or whatever. And it, these guys are young enough where they could take a, a, a good solid offer from the Guardians and then still be young enough if they're healthy when those years are up to still get another good contract if they stay oh, exactly. healthy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when, when Kluber was done with uh, his last year, I think he's had the Yankees for $11 million, didn't pitch particularly well. Um, but he did, by the way, Clevenger the other day got shelled, uh, with San Diego. And I, I wonder if he's trying to come back too fast. Uh, he's on a one-year deal. Uh, see, that's what happens too. When you have a longer term contract as a pitcher, um, you can go slower and make sure that you're really ready to come back and pitch. And not so rushing back, trying to get paid. Yeah. Now, David, the interesting part about the, um, deal with Bieber is unless things have changed, and I've not heard, uh, his agent is Drew Rosenhaus, the football guy. So I heard the first time around it didn't go particularly well uh, because there was kind of a cultural difference, shall we say, on how things are done. So I'll be, um, I'll be curious to see what's next because I'm sure Rosenhaus is not used to uh, a situation like baseball has a three years of arbitration and all that stuff before you become a free agent. All right. Well, speaking of the Clevenger trade, you got to see Josh Naylor play Mm -hmm. yesterday. And this is really some story. I mean, not only is he coming back faster than most people thought, but he looks better than anybody thought he would uh, from you saw him play yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, his first time up, it's a rocket to left center. And, you know, he he looks like he's running faster than he is because, you know, he's just goes all out and that kind of the, the Jose Ramirez thing, you know, body parts are flying over the place. But, I mean, he went into second base easily with a double. You know, he had a base hit. He made a nice catch on a line drive to right field. I talked to him afterwards. He said he has no discomfort, no pain. He goes, I got a big plate in my leg. But he, he's very enthusiastic. He said he circled opening day going back to when he came out of surgery last year. He, he got hurt on June 27th. He had surgery in early July. And they had to put the whole leg back together. He had that gruesome collision with Ernie Clement. Uh, and basically there's damage to the ankle. There was the tibios fractured in several areas in the leg. I mean, this is a, uh, I mean, this is a big time injury. You know, it feels like Naylor has been around for quite a while because he was a high rated pot uh, prospect with the Padres. He's only 24. 
All right. So Terry, that, that was kind of one of the interesting storylines of the week. And the other one is, boy, how about Ahmed Rosario does whatever the team asked last year. Yeah. And now they're asking him to move to left field. And this is kind of an experiment. They tried it last year in center. I think left field is an easier ask for, mm-hmm. for someone to make that move because you do, you know, if, if you've ever played center field, when the ball's coming off the bat right at you, it's hard to gauge the spin, the velocity, because it's coming toward you. I think in the corners, it's a little bit easier to make the transition. Maybe that's what the Guardians are thinking. But what did you think of, of him making the move out there? And do you think this experiment's going to work? I mean, they've had some statues playing in the outfield in the past. So like Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, it's fine. The guy's a good athlete. Yeah, and then they hit 40 home runs. You don't care. When you look at uh, the outfield, what we've watched almost for the last century, you know how they, they keep trying to put together an outfield. Uh, th- this guy could go out there and hit his usual 285 and, you know, 15 homers and uh, an OPS like around 740. Great. Let him play out there because they have all these second basemen and shortstops. They're all stacked up with them. So let those guys figure it out. And then all of a sudden, you're not trying to fill in all these spots in the outfield. And, you know, you're not stuck with this on the, basically the uh, Zimmer Mercado treadmill anymore. You can move away from them. Because if you have Miles Straw as a really good center fielder and Shodi could be a good leadoff guy, and then you and he could cover a ton of ground, and then you have Rosario on left, and he could, whether it's Naylor and right or Steve Kwan or somebody else later on, fine. Just go that way. I mean, yes, I'd like to see oh, – it would be great if they could sign a guy that hits 25 homers and stick him in right field or stick him in left field. They haven't done it. They're probably not going to do it. But let's at least look at some other options compared to what we've been watching in the last past few years. Do you think this is going to work? Oh, I like it a lot better than what, what it was, sure. Mm-hmm. It's left field. Albert Bell stood out there watching, you know, practicing his swing. I mean, this, <laughs> it doesn't matter. All he's right. not terrible. And the other thing is he does care, David. See, that's the, that's a, the part of it, too, that he wants to be pretty good. And I think he knows that if he shows he can play a variety of positions, it's going to eventually, when he comes to, more towards free agency, it's going to help him make some money. Versatility is always marketable, that's for sure. So, all right, Terry. And, I, and David, yeah. the truth is he's a below average shortstop. He's not awful. I had heard he was awful. He's not awful, but he's below average. And so whether you have Andres Jimenez or, or Gabriel uh, Arias to play there, and they have some other guys below them, you know, uh, that are possibilities. You know, second base, they want you, they want to put Yu Chang in there and see what he's going to do. And I, I agree with that thought. Let's just find out. He chose some flashes last year. All right, so I wanted to get your thoughts on something, Terry. Last week, uh, Joe Noga posted a story. The Guardians had sent out emails saying there were 5,000 tickets left for opening night instead of opening day. Um, so next week, the, the Guardians will have a four-game series to open the season in Kansas City, and then they're going to have their home opener on April 7th, I believe the night is. It's Friday night. It's going to be at 15th, Progressive Field. I'm sorry, the 15th. Yeah, thanks for correcting me on that. The 15th, so it's it's um, the week after the Kansas City series. And they're going to be opening at 7-10 against the San Francisco Giants. So you know how the tradition has been for opening day tickets in Cleveland. They sell out almost immediately. The place is packed. It's it's kind of like a a national holiday on a Cleveland scale. To see 5,000 tickets available for the home opener, do you think it's the, the fans are not happy with the amount of money that the guardians have not spent 
this offseason? Do you think it's the 7-10 start for that Friday night game? Do you think it's the fact they're playing the Giants, which is a National League team? Is it the name change? It's really odd to see that number of seats available. What's your take on the reason fact, behind I believe it? Um, we could hopefully check this when we take our, our quick break. I also think that they were offering a free ticket for another game in April. They were. That's right. Yep. Buy so, opening day and get another game. It tells free. you they're really trying. One, they want to get some other people in the park besides opening day, but also um, they're struggling and they're coming out of, they could study this in a business school where a name change and also baseball's just messing with another long labor dispute. And then when they come out of the dispute, if you're really, and I wrote this, if you're in a small or medium market, the new deal didn't really do much for you. It didn't change the, the type of structure. It didn't create anything close to um, a uh, NFL type salary cap or things to really help. Yeah. They have revenue sharing and some other stuff, but you know, to get down in there where, where if you really want to change the dynamics of the game, you put a salary floor in there. So the guardians and others can't spend 50 million. And then you put a ceiling on it. So the Dodgers can't spend 250 million. You know, you make these guys go up to 75 or 80 million and you hold the other guys at 180 million or something like that. Uh, that's how you address this issue. Not what they did, which is just continue to take the same old car that runs the same old way and just throw a different paint job on it. So what, what percentage do you think the lack of sales for opening day is? I mean, you think it's mostly the name change? You think it's partially that fans are frustrated change, with the money yeah. stuff? Uh, what do you the think? Dolans are cheap. The Dolans are cheap. It doesn't matter what you say. That's what I hear. It's just this thing. The Dolans are cheap. Is, instead of they never look at the standings, they look at the payroll standings. And the fact is, uh, you and I had in preparation for this, had a little discussion. There's brand and there's production for a uh, franchise. For example, the Browns brand is very good. Fans, although the, this is the first time there's been a real kind of uh, divisive thing with them, with, with the Sean Watson, that, that part of the fan base is objecting to what the franchise did on a whole different ground besides just football. Nonetheless, the Browns are the Browns. They go one in 31. Oh, they're still the Browns. If you were to look at the Haslam's first season as owners, they bought it in 2012, but the first year that they took over where they brought in Joe Banner began their own legacy was 2013. Same year, Terry Francona came to town to join up with Mike, uh, Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti. And then uh, Shapiro also was part of the front, that front office. You go back nine years. If I were to tell you in those nine years, the Browns went to a Super Bowl, they had eight winning seasons and five playoff appearances. What would you say? I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. What <laughs> people would be having cardiac arrest. Yeah. They couldn't figure out how to handle right. it. Right. Well, that is in effect what the guardians have done nine years. Eight winning seasons, five playoffs, one loss in the World Series. But they have a low payroll. Meanwhile, the Browns, one winning season, one playoff, and the Guardians were 80 and 82 last year, the worst season in those nine years. That would be the same as actually the Browns going eight and nine. 
which, by the way, is the second best season in the nine years. I'm just saying it's brand, but I know. So I'll how get, do, how do they fix this. that? How do the Guardians fix that? I think that really it probably won't change until like if David Blitzer finally buys into the team and eventually becomes a major owner and they they do something. And the other thing that really cost the Guardians, and we go back and now we are in the, in the uh, Indians time frame, they had a chance to close the deal in 2016 on the Cubs, and they didn't. I think had the Dolans won a World Series, they would always be remembered like that, just like Dan Gilbert is always remembered for winning the World Series. I mean, the, the NBA playoffs. That that was a huge opportunity that they missed. The Chris Antonetti and the rest of them will tell you their better team was in 2017. Remember, they had that was a 22-game winning streak, and, and they were up on the Yankees, and they got, I think they were up 2-1 to one or whatever it was, and they got knocked out of the first round. That was their team that they really thought. Was, that was when they brought in Encarnacion, and they thought they were ready to go and win the whole thing. And then after that, it just seemed to, to peter out. And you go through these things of um, – I mean, nobody else wants to hear this when I bring this up. There are three teams in baseball that keep defying the odds, Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland. And Tampa Bay always talk about, oh, they're cheap. That same thing, you hear that. Well, they go to the World Series. Oakland is never can't get to the World Series, but wins a ton of games. Periodically, they have these rebuild years. The difference is when the Guardians were rebuilt, they've never gone had like two or three years in a row losing 100 and some games. Dolan does not want that, and neither does Antonetti. And I know this, as long as you have Terry Francona. Well, when Francona came in, they had lost over 90 games in three previous seasons. So I knew... He didn't show up here to go Luke go 70 and 92. I'll tell you that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, going back to the messaging and the branding, you know, yeah. there's a political consultant named Frank Luntz. He does a lot of work with camp mm-hmm. with presidential campaigns. And it, one of his mantras is it's not what you say, it's what they hear. Yeah. And I think this applies, right? Like the, in, the guardians, they, the Dolans have promised we're going to, try to contend every year we're going to do the best we can mm-hmm. and they've delivered on that promise but the the fans are not hearing that message or it's not resonating and i think it is a branding a branding thing yeah, and, I, got some work to do. and i and i think no matter what you do um until the ownership flips in some regard whether it's a, a, a strong minority owner comes in or even eventually paul becomes a minority owner and, and a blitzer or somebody else takes it there it's going to be the same discussion. Now we may turn around in five to 10 years and back up, man, those guys really knew what they were doing. And I know this, and I don't blame them. The the front office, the baseball people get a little tired of that too. Yes. They'd like to have more money, but they they have stability and they go, don't you get it? Haven't we proved we kind of know what we're doing. And you go back and make a list of a lot of these players that have left here for the most part, they got rid of them at the right time. They got rid of Kluber at the right time. He's Emmanuel Classe, I may add. They got rid of Bauer. You know, they didn't know Bauer was going to go off the rails personally, but he's Fran Mel Reyes. I mean, there's other guys there. They got rid of Clevenger. You know, that is Quantrill. That is Austin Hedges. That is not Josh Naylor. It's Arias. Um, Jan Gomes, all these guys. I mean, they may bounce around, but it's not like, 
when they were trading Cy Young award winners and, and you watch and you turn around and see Cliff Lee seems to pitch forever after the deal. CC Sabathia seems to pitch forever after the deal. Um, you know, Ramirez goes to Boston and hits a ton of homers. You, you don't see that with these guys. When these players have left there, in fact, I would be very guarded trading with the Guardians, especially about a pitcher, because it seems like they kind of know when, when, the, when the tank's empty. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like uh, people say about Bill Belichick in the NFL. He gets rid of guys at, at the right mm-hmm. time, and you're right. The, the recent history is really there. For All right, Terry, we've been talking Guardians. for a, You mentioned the Browns a little while ago. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to the Browns here because we did our podcast last Wednesday. The Deshaun Watson press conference was on Friday. I just wanted to give you a few minutes to um, talk about what your takeaways were from that and, and kind of spinning things forward a little bit. Well, I've been to far too many press conferences in 40 some years. It's probably, there've been a few awkward ones, but that's up there really high. And where you looked at the people and none of them wanted to be there. I know I've never been at a press conference where you're bringing in a marquee player and it looked like uh, you're trying to explain, you know, how your house just fell down or something. I mean, that there's a thing, like there was something wrong and I love how everybody was so remarkably uncomfortable, kept talking about we have a very good comfort level with this. Well, you didn't act like it. Now, maybe they do, but I think they knew when they came to talk about this was going to be very awkward. I thought that uh, Watson painted itself in a bit of a corner because he said three times, three things. I never harassed anyone, a woman. I never assaulted a woman, and I never disrespected a woman. And I could say, honestly, in my 44 years of marriage to Roberta, she would probably say more than a few times, I've said things have been disrespectful or whatever. You start, you know, talking about respect. I mean, don't put yourself on that high a pedestal. I would have just said simply, I never harassed or or assaulted anybody. Uh, But don't, and it's not my DNA to be, you know, that. And then on top of it, you know, if you look back, he did offer to settle some of those suits about a year ago. And that wasn't what he said on Friday. He said he's going to fight them. Yes. Yep. So, so we shall see. Which may be a legal tactic, which may be a legal tactic. I'm sure Um, everything there was a legal tactic. I mean, everything was a legal tactic. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, An awful thing. I mean, you're a Browns fan. You finally got a quarterback and you got to feel the whole feeling like the whole thing's vetted by lawyers. Yeah, well, we've seen that in a lot of the letters that fans have written in emails yeah. that just it was a, should have been a day for celebration when you yes. get a player of this caliber. And it wasn't. Um, and as you yeah. said, it, it felt it, it was a I day mean, that had to happen. It was a day that I had to prefer happen for the Browns to get through this. And that, you know, a lot of what Watson says turns out to be correct. Um, but this is the story that's going to go on for a while. And I hate it. I just hate this story. I'll just tell you, I don't mean hating Watson as a player, but just all the, the layers of this story and writing about it. And periodically I've said, okay, I don't like the deal, but here's what it looks like from a football perspective. And then I've also said, here's what it looks like from a budget perspective. And here's what it looks like from this. Um, because all those are entered, the, the deal compared, con- contained three components. Number one was the moral, how you feel morally about what he's charged with, you know, in terms of civil charged. You know, you could argue he's been um, vindicated twice in criminal court. So, uh, you know, that, but there's that battle there. So there's that, that's number one. Number two is the contract. I don't care how much money Jimmy Haslam spends. He, he just 
his deal with Flying J and Warren Buffett is $11 billion, $11 billion. So he wants to spend guaranteed $230 million, fine. The problem is in 2023, the Browns have $85 million on their cap with Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson. And they have no number one picks for the next three years. That's the third part of it was the assets given up, three number ones plus three other picks. Uh, that is a ton of things to do. So they need, I mean, for them to really have this work out, they really, they don't need Watson to miss a whole lot of time this first year because they need him on the field. This is a win now play. Yeah, and we can get into that in a second. I, a couple of things I wanted to mention on the press conference. I, I, I thought from the Browns' point of view, our colleague Doug Lamarice had a good phrase. He, he said the Browns, basically their vibe was trust us. Yes. Like, we, we got this kind yeah. of. And you mentioned the, the term comfortable. They talked a lot about we finally got comfortable. Yeah, we finally got comfortable. They said they were comfortable. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And the other thing, I, I thought Watson – there was one quote that stuck out to me a little bit. I wanted to read it to you. And he, they asked him about what he hopes to do going forward. And he, he said, I've always been hands-on in the community of Houston, back home in Gainesville and back home in Clemson. And that is what I want to do is be able to get back to that brand or get back to that person that people knew I was before all these allegations. And I, I was trying to put myself in, the, in a, a fan's shoes. If I hear a player say he wants to get back to that brand, I mean, yeah, Jimmy and D Haslam talked about like, hey, we want to we want to work with and partner with communities that this yes. is that have, has affected that. But we don't want to do it too soon and make like we're just overcompensating or jumping into mm -hmm. it from an from an insincere point of view. And when I heard him talk about getting back to his brand, that just I think that's going to rub people. The, it was the one slip up that I noticed that where yeah. where it was kind of like you got behind the curtain for a minute. And I thought it was yeah, weird. He, yeah, he has to do that. And, and unfortunately, for him, you know, what this, all this uh, charges and things, he had a very good reputation at Clemson. He does have, I, I looked into the stuff, he does have a good reputation in Gainesville, Georgia is where he's from. And he did have a good reputation his first few years with the, uh, the Texans. And you don't do that simply by just having a few appearances. I mean, he really did work at a lot of those things. And this cost him of that. I will say this for the Haslam's, by the way, they did something that's very dear to my heart as a person. While I didn't go to Cleveland public schools, I went to Benedictine in the inner city of Cleveland. And I have friends who coach at places like um, Rhodes and John Hay and Glenville and that. Them putting in all these different fields and things that they've been doing, they, did, they came to Akron and did some. This is tremendous. You have no idea what it means to these coaches because not only is this for football, they could use those fields for track and, you know, what other programs you have. And they've been very, not just strategic, just flat out smart. And I think as they began, as you said, to go slower, they saw here's a real need. Here's something we could do. I mean, that field at East Tech is really nice. There's a nice one at Collinwood. Shaw. Uh, just one at Shaw now. Shaw. Shaw, that place was falling down. I mean, I went out there a few years ago when they made the playoffs, and I mean, they were about ready to condemn the press box. It was awful. So I think there are about 12 of these things they've done. That's how you do it. And they've been doing it gradually, but consistently. So uh, as we're going through this, I do want to mention that that ain't brand. That's just good community work. 
Yeah, and I think that's the approach they probably want to take with this going forward, as you pointed out. So, all right, Terry, let's flip this real quick. Um, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, has been in Florida the last few days for the NFL annual meeting. And Roger Goodell spoke and was asked, of course, about what might happen with Deshaun Watson's case. And since the criminal charges are not going to be happening, he was asked what kind of suspension Deshaun Watson might get from the NFL. What do you think is going to happen down the road here based on precedent and just kind of what your feel is for where this is at right now? Well, Kareem Hunt got eight, eight games. There was no indictment there. There was a video, but there was no indictment. And um, the other guys have gotten six. So that's probably it. Uh, I would be stunned if uh, I'm glad he said they weren't going to do the, what is it? Wait till everything's done or put them on with well, no, the, the commissioner's the, exemption list or which whatever is kind of right. where you get paid. We just sit there. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just not good for the league or anything else. Cause I don't think the NFL is thrilled about everybody just debating forever Deshaun Watson, how this is as, as that's not good for the brand, shall we say. So the better thing is to give him some sort of suspension, then we're done with it. What he does is what he does and get back to play ball. That would, that would be my, you know, from a PR point of view, that's what I would tell the league, you know, suspend them four game, six game, whatever you're going to do, get past this. Let them know that, well, I'm sure the league and other owners, no matter what the Haslam's are telling people, we're not thrilled about the contract being fully guaranteed or as, uh, some people said, are going to this guy who missed all last year. I mean, I hit the ceiling when I saw that contract. I just, I just could not believe that a precedent-setting contract went to Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I can easily see 10 or 12 game suspension here for this because of the number of women. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see when that will come down because you know how civil cases are. They could drag on for months. Well, that's, and, why, that's why I think yeah. they're going to do this. I think they're going to do it this year. I just do. I don't think they want this just going on and on. And then he can go in his personal life and take care of the civil cases. And then, you know, so we'll, we'll see. In the meantime, um, I am glad for the Browns. He's going to be allowed to go to the mini camps. Correct. And, and if I remember when Joe, Josh Gordon knew he was going to be suspended, he did play in the preseason. So, yeah, and it's even Deshaun Watson important. with the Texans last year was pretty heavily involved in, in helping them prepare, and he was working out. I don't know if he played out. in the season or not. But no, I don't know either. But I don't think he did. But I want him on the field from a football perspective, you know, as much as possible, because whenever that suspension ends, he's going to be dropped in the middle of the season. It's one thing for Josh Gordon, who just ran down the field, he threw the ball to him. It's another thing for the quarterback, because remember how quarterbacks are – you, they don't practice normally. I mean, I'm, I'm saying they practice, but it's not normal football. You're not allowed to touch them in all this. And you can't replicate the speed of the game at all for a quarterback because he's not really running for away from being hit. The only could do that in the game. All right, Terry, the, uh, the forgotten man, for lack of a better phrase, Baker Mayfield is still <laughs> hanging out, waiting to see what's going to happen. Does Baker Mayfield get traded sooner or later? Does he get released sooner or later? If you're the Browns, what are you doing here with this situation? Well, you don't want to release him because he is worth something. He, he's an asset. Now, you, you diminished your asset by going after Watson and that. Baker diminished his own asset, his own value, by it was a mistake to demand to be traded and as a mistake for this kind of word to get out that he might not show up 
for the workouts. That's a mistake. You're coming off a bad year. This is not a time to play those cards. So it they both handle this to create the situation where Baker is in limbo. Nonetheless, um, you know, Seattle, a couple of Carolina, I'm sure there's probably a few other teams. I mean, I was a little surprised Houston didn't take him. I mean, really, Davis Mills, maybe they're planning to draft a quarterback, but nonetheless, you know, Baker could have been a placeholder for a year. I just, you know, I'm not a huge Baker fan. I wrote this column about it before, but it's like, he's above average when he's healthy. He did take him to the playoffs. He's pretty good. Not great. Pretty good. And you talk about a reclamation project that has little risk. It's Baker Mayfield, one-year contract. Yeah, it's a little high in a cap, $19 million, But that's it. If it doesn't work, goodbye. I mean, they pay these. Like, what did Case Keenum make? $7 million last year. And they, um, oh, here came the horse. Put him back in his stable. He's, he's with Buffalo now. But you get the idea. The, $18 million for a guy who might win your starting job. It's, yeah, it's, it. it's the NFL equivalent of what the NBA's expiring contract. And yes, those, are like, those are like gold. They <laughs> are. You know. It's perfect. And then on top of it, if Baker does play well for you in Carolina or somewhere, he's probably going to be happy. And you might be able to get him to sign a contract that's not ridiculous. Uh, you might be able to get him to do a two-year extension or something. Yeah, I just – I think a lot of the uh, teams that are interested – or whether well, or not a lot, but I say a couple of those teams are interested. They're going. To, they're sweating the Browns right now. What can I, can we get them to pay for half the contract? Can we get them to give us a draft pick? You know, can we get them? Because it's like they got to get rid of this guy. He's he's just chewing up nothing. See, that's the other problem when you have this with your salary cap. Because remember that you know, remember they signed extensions for Batonio and Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb. Well, some of that's starting to kick in not as, as high as it will in 23. 23 is a mess for them on the cap. We really do need to have somebody break that whole thing down um, because that's when a lot of those other extensions kick in. But in the meantime, um, I just, and I, it's so, it's, I've never been a big Baker lover or whatever, but I, you, know, you can't deny that in 2018 and 2020, so that's two years, he had good years, period. Yeah, and just for some reference here, there's nothing that has to happen right away in terms no. of, uh, and, and Mary Kay has written about this. The only thing that's at stake is some awkward moments, but until June, um, you know, he well, won't face awkward for months. Yeah, everything is optional for players and voluntary until the mini camp in June. And if he misses mm-hmm. the mini camp and he's still under contract with the Browns, I think he gets a hundred thousand dollar fine. The other thing to remember is that we see this a lot of times draft weekend is when a lot of this stuff yes. happens because guys, yeah. guys won't fall to a spot where a team was going to take him or th- there was a trade that fell through. And now somebody does need a quarterback of Baker's yes. stature. And I'd be surprised if it lasted past the draft, which is, you Who's know, obviously the end of it. The uh, they signed uh, Marcus Mariota, right? That's right. I keep yeah. asking you that because I keep forgetting that. But your, your question still stands. So. So yeah, we'll right. See. Yeah, okay, fine. But we'll see what happens. But would you rather um, Marcus Mariota or Baker Mayfield? I'd rather have Baker. I would too. So, all right, Terry, we've been, uh, let's see, about 30 minutes in here. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk some Cavaliers. And we have some Hey Terry questions that we'll get to as well. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into some Cavaliers. 
the much maligned Cavaliers. Boy, they cannot catch a break. It's just one injury after another. They're still hanging in there at 42 and 33, but they've lost Evan Mobley now with sprained ankle that he suffered in Monday's win over Orlando. Dean Wade's out for the season with a knee injury. Laurie Markinen, one of your favorite guys, they're probably going to have to have him play some center here and, yeah. and probably play small, but how are they holding this together? And, and where do you see this thing going in terms of top six or not top six? Well, let's get the big Eastern Conference. First. They are guaranteed a winning season. I think that's very significant. They've finally been able to have a winning season after LeBron left. They couldn't do it the first time around. They did it this time around. And it's a winning season, not with a bunch of guys who are just veterans in here that kind of ran through and are going to be out of here. So that's important. And that's why even if they end up in a play-in tournament and kind of get knocked out, there's so many mitigating factors. I mean, at the start of the year, the guards were Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Ricky Rubio. Those were your main guards. And then Okoro kind of played a little bit there. And now it's like, it's how I remember they were on the team. It really is. Boy, that Rubio, you know, I look back now, had Rubio stayed healthy, I think they would have won 50 games this year. I think you're right. I really do. That guy was perfect for this team. So, anyway, big picture, I think, to me, is terrific. You know, I'm always on a uh, rookie contract. Allen signed an extension. Markins signed an extension. Garland's got a couple more years to go on his contract. Okoro's got a couple more years to go. You know, the key guys – they're, they're good. It is just a shame to see what's happening, though. I mean, they, yes. they're, they're losing not just guys, but starters yes. and guys who are playing a lot of minutes. And now is Kevin Love going to, you know, he, maybe he moves into the starting lineup for a while now until Mobley comes back. And that's going to put more strain on him. And we've talked before about how this yeah. formula has really worked with Kevin Love about re- kind of restricting his minutes and maximizing his impact. And now they're in a they're in a situation where they have to play him a lot more. And it's one just, of the it, reasons I'm not going to fault Kevin because he's limited physically on defense. You see him get a lot of rebounds, but he does not guard well out on the floor. He's not, you know, when they had the big three going with the big three guys, and actually when they would put Dean Wade in, some now he wasn't quite to the level of, of Mark and Allen and Mobley, but he was another big body you know, he could go out. He was more mobile than, than Kevin. Kevin's had a ton of injuries. So that's it. To me, Kevin's had a remarkable year given. I thought he was done. i flat out thought he was done and they figured it out and see when he plays against the second teamers, um, some of his defensive problems are hidden, but he's out there. He's, he's a warrior. I mean, I, when was the last time we said that about Kevin? Love? he had to go back to like when LeBron was here and he had to do a lot of the dirty work, you know? So this is great to see him, but man, oh man, marketing and love and, and you're, you're relying on Stevens and Okoro and Garland's carrying this whole thing on his back. Um, I'm sure JB goes, we used to be like the biggest team. Now some nights, the other night it was marketing and four guards out there. Yeah. And that's the way it might be. Might be around and next Stevens few games. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's probably going to see more of that. All right. Well, on the good news front for the Cavaliers, we should talk about Dylan Windler a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, here's a player who was taken 26th overall in the 2019 draft, has had nothing but setbacks since that day, pretty much in terms of injuries. Mm-hmm. Cavs kept sending him down to the G League to, to get some minutes in and get his game back. 
And now the other night, it, it, this is someone who can be a real difference maker for this team, I think, it, it, with all these injuries and, and playing some important minutes. I mean, against Orlando the other night, you look at his box score, 16 minutes, five points, nine boards, two assists, two steals, including a big one late in the game that helped the Cavs lock away the win. And he was plus 15 wow. in the short amount of time. That tied Darius Garland the other night for the, the best plus minus of anybody on the floor for either team that night. So did they gave him the, the junkyard dog. They uh, did give him the junkyard dog uh, bra- yeah. uh, necklace. So uh, what do you think of Darius Garland? I mean, Darius Garland. Um, Darius Garland's pretty good. Right? <laughs> yeah, he is. What do you think of Dylan Windler's game and – what impact he can have when they really need someone to, to give them some minutes and maybe some stats here. When they drafted him, I liked him for a couple of reasons. One, he was a three-point shooter. Two, uh, he looked like he played shooting guard or small forward. And three, I believe he averaged almost nine rebounds a game at Belmont. So I thought this guy's an all-around player. Played in mid-major level, but he should be a good role player. And he had one injury after another after another and, of course, he was drafted by John Beeline, who immediately got fired, you know, all that stuff. And then by the start of this year, I thought, this guy's just never going to be healthy. When he has played, he hasn't looked very good. I think sending him to the G League, I'm so glad that some of these teams are using the G League for a, not punishment, but as development. That's what it was supposed to be. So you have a guy, doesn't matter, because if you, you don't want to send a first-round pick down to the G League, it's insulting to them or whatever. No, it's like you got to – he's a first-round pick. Get him back together. He's yeah, it's like a play. pitcher going to Columbus to get a rehab exactly. started. Yep. And so whether you're hurt or you just need to play, and that was nice to see. So if they could get something out of this guy, it would be great. Um, it is interesting how Osmond's fallen out of grace again. He, he kind of goes in and out. Uh, I have trouble watching Osmond just because he drives me nuts. He's just so out of control and – it's like if he makes three or four shots in a row, I know here comes two bad shots and a turnover. He's like, you he can't hit. He's like some guy that you know can never walk away from the blackjack table. I mean, it's like he's gonna keep playing the cards until he loses or let you haul him out of there. And I never played blackjack, but I've had some friends that say that that's the old, you know, you know when to hold them and fold them and get out of there. Well, and from J.B. Bickerstaff's point of view as a coach, I mean, he's done a masterful job of, mm-hmm. of taking Jetty and Dylan Windler and kind of, all right, Jetty, we need to play some urgent basketball. And if you're not going to bring it, we're going to, he's been using those two guys to push each other. And Mm -hmm. now with these injuries, he might not have, sometimes you have to play a guy because you have nobody else. And I'm kind of, I'm sure fans are concerned that like, it might get to the point where like, Hey, we need somebody go ahead. And if you're not having a good night, I have nobody else to go to. Um, and that might hurt them down the stretch, but you got to do what you got to do. The point there. I like Stevens. He plays about the same every night. He plays hard. You know, he gets in there and um, the grit thing that JB talks about. Defense. You know, he's really good. I mean, that they're going to have to really win ugly from here on out. And that's going to take – But see, I don't think Chetty ever fully embraced that style of basketball. He likes to score, likes to run around. But it, that really tough defensive thing uh, – Winwar is. Winwar's looked around at this and realized, you know, I could have a career if, it, if this is what it takes. So that's probably another reason that he's moved into more favor. Um, with Osman, you know, Osman, I, I would uh, just want things. That's, that's the old short leash with me. He goes in there. If he's hot, 
even if he's hot, I might take him out. I'm not going to ride it a long time because I can't afford uh, three or four of his really bad plays in a row when the team is so dismantled and having trouble scoring. All right. Well, this 10 team setup that the NBA went to a couple of years ago is really uh, exciting. The yes. Cavaliers are in seventh place right now. They're a game behind Toronto for number six, just to reset everything. Um, if they tie with Toronto at the end of the season, the Cavs win on a tiebreaker. So there's a game separating those teams. And then you've got uh, behind the Cavs in eighth, ninth, and 10th would be Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta right now. Cavs have, uh, boy, just a handful of games left, and most of them are against teams that have something to play for. And you know how it is at the end of NBA season. At the end, if teams are just playing out the string, sometimes they don't give give their best effort. But that's what they but, wanted to do, David. Think about this. They, they know that – I mean, for example, I think they were probably tired of hearing LeBron say, I don't care if we're in the first place or eighth place, so long as we make the playoffs. doesn't matter to me. They're going, well, that's, that's great for your product for the first six months. Um, so I think they wanted to create a situation that not only involves more teams, but puts pressure on those teams in the middle, you know, the, like the Cavaliers, the, the teams that are between seven and 11 games over 500. So they don't end up in the dreaded play in thing. I love it. I just, not that there's more teams, there's more pressure to bring more meaning to the regular season. Well, and you know, one of the most valuable things you can give to an NBA player is the R word, which is rest. And if you yeah. finish in that top six, you get rest and you, you don't have to, and you get to take a few days off and recharge. And if you don't, then you got to play. So and other that's, thing that's another thing, by the way, you notice there hasn't been as many quote unquote load management days off around the league as much. Mm -hmm. Those kind of went away too. So. Because you, you know, because the idea of whether I'm first or eight doesn't matter does now. All right. So the, the schedule ahead, Terry, Wednesday night, the 30th tonight, they're playing Dallas at home at seven. Thursday, they're at Atlanta. Saturday, they're taking on the Knicks in New York. Then they're home Sunday against the Sixers, and then they wrap up with three games next week. So uh, Dallas, Atlanta, the Knicks, the Sixers, yeah. Brooklyn, the Bucks, all those teams are in the mix for the playoffs. And so they're going to have their hands full, especially with the short roster. So, all right. Terry, let's talk about your faith in UConn this week. You got into a really interesting topic, which is you call it the you owe me baggage. And you wrote about your dog that you had when you were a kid named Beagle. I'm sorry. He was a Beagle. A beagle it was, named it was a Beagle named Pepper. But I can't get anybody's name right today so far. But uh, talk about your faith column and kind of uh, what the you owe me concept is. Well, the, the story begins with uh, my dad loves Beagles, took me to the pound and we we're going to get a Beagle. And so we were trying to get an older dog because we had had a puppy before that that just didn't work out well. And then the poor dog ran the street and got hit. And it was bad. So we wanted a dog that uh, was trained. And so we talked to the people there and they took us and wanted a beagle to this. And this, he was sort of cowering in the back of the little cell they had him in there. But he kind of came up and right away licked my dad's hand. And my dad said, oh, don't you like him? I said, you know, he, he looks nice to me. So they took him home. But we discovered when he was in the house that he and he would, you know, he had a name, he was well behaved, all that. Um, but anytime you picked up a newspaper, he just he would just cower. He'd go hide in the corner. And after about a couple of days, my dad said, you know, realize this guy, this dog's been beat with a newspaper. I gotta be careful. Even like if you would just drop it on the floor, you'd have to read it, he'd run. And you know, a lot of us are kind of like Pepper. We have some stuff there. Fortunately, Pepper didn't blame the new owners for beating him like the old ones. But sometimes what we do is what we we have when we're earlier in life. You know, we want 
the new people in our life to pay for the parents or whoever it was, um, what came before. And that's a tough way to live, you know, on a couple of fronts, because one is if your father abandoned you or whatever, and then later on some older males in your life, they can't make up for what your dad did. And if you're just waiting for them to reject you or whatever, it just creates all this extra strain on everyone. But I think a lot of us haven't even realized like pepper, like, you know, that uh, the, the newspaper thing, you know, and then later, by the way, over time, Pepper was, didn't get worried about the paper anymore. He stopped getting beat and figured out he was fine. We never used the paper on him. I mean, he was such a good dog other than I, I mentioned, though, thing about beagles, if they're off the leash and they go outside in the woods, look out, <laughs> nose down, tail up and hearing shut off. I mean, he would just on a trail or something. He didn't hear anything and he's moving. And it just, he just didn't hear. It was, it was just, he was bred to do that. And I've talked to some other beagle owners and a few, I think, been able to get past that. But most of us who've had beagles over the years say, that's the downside of them. They just, you better keep them on a leash out there because they're liable to take off on you. Yeah, one track mine. So yeah, um, yeah when I was reading your column, uh, and by the way, you can catch that on cleveland.com. Terry's Faith in You column on Saturdays and in The Plain Dealer on Sundays. But it made me think of that movie Seabiscuit. I don't know if you've ever seen that about the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Pollard is the jockey. And oh, Toby, Seabiscuit. To- I'm sorry. Seabiscuit, yes. yeah. And yeah. Toby Maguire plays that part. But he had a rough upbringing. He had to basically fight and scrap his way yeah. at these little rinky-dink tracks. And everything was just a battle. And when he was riding Seabiscuit, they had a plan for a race. And, and Red Pollard completely ignored it because somebody fouled him. And he basically got into a a whip fight with the, one of the other jockeys and the, they lost because he didn't follow the plan. The race is over. And uh, Charles Howard, the owner is talking to him after. And he's like, he, you know, red's like, he followed me. He followed me. And finally, Charles Howard just slows everything down and says, red, why are you so angry? And it made, your column made me think of that. And so they got into like, why are you so angry? And he was angry mm-hmm. because of stuff that had happened in his life, not because of the race. And I think that was, kind of what you're talking about if we just slow things down and kind of talk and also, through the reasons behind it confront yeah. you a little bit i did to one person i knew and, and i said to him one time look i'm not re- just because i say i don't want to do this or i don't think it's a good i'm not rejecting you and i'm tired of having to deal with this stuff from your past on that and you're going to make life very hard for you and not only that hard for and hurtful for those around you is if every time you don't get your way or whatever, you way overreact to it because you're flashing back to basically the newspaper like there. And I, but you have to be confronted and think about it in those terms. Of course, good counseling helps in this area also. Um, but even a lot of times just on our own, we could begin to see things. So um, anyway, that was, that's the faith column. Good. And make sure you catch that this weekend. All right, we got some Hey Terry questions. Ready, Terry? Okay. Some interesting ones here. This one's from Jack in Erie, Pennsylvania. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. It's clear from the Indians' lack of offseason moves that they will not be legit contenders for the Central. I think that's debatable, as we've talked about, Terry. Maybe for one of the wildcard spots. Given that they aren't going to make any significant noise this season, wouldn't it make the most sense to trade Jose Ramirez now? and get a much bigger return on investment than play out the season at 500 and then trade him. If they had a legit chance to win 90 plus games, I would feel differently. 
They told the line the last two years with Lindor didn't win anything and got less in return than they could have. They shouldn't make the same mistake twice. What do you think, Terry? I think the playoffs somewhere in the middle, and that is they're going to make a real good effort to sign them. And, but if they don't, uh, unless they get off to a really good start, and odds are, by the way, remember, you know what happens with Terry Francona's teams? They start slow. Part of the reason is there's always sorting through younger players early in the season. So that tends to lead to the slower starts. And they have this Francona, you know, April and Cleveland theory. Now, part of it has to do with service time. But also, I think there's some legitimacy to it. I remember like in uh, early in Jose's career, he came up at midseason, played fairly well at shortstop. And then he's like 22. He opens it short, short, by the way. Um, the following year, he couldn't hit at all. He was terrible. The cold weather, all this stuff. See, they like to bring a player up from the minors uh, when uh, not just the weather's warm, but the player is playing well with confidence. Remember, 85% of all players go back to the minors once. I'd love to see some stats on multiple times because it seems like several of these guys go back multiple times. So in that regard, um, they, I think they're going to try to sign Ramirez if they can't. You know, at midseason, I would move him. I get a year and a half. I'd move him at midseason um, because of what uh, – who is it Eric from Jack, Erie? Jack from Erie, Jack from yeah. Erie, uh, what he said, uh, as opposed to waiting to the end of the year like they did with Lindor. Um, of course, that whole season was so messed up with the with – the, remember, that was the pandemic season and right. all of that. All right. This one is Bob from Akron, and he says, Hey, Terry, I've enjoyed your sports coverage for many years. Also appreciate your faith columns. What do you think about a Browns trade with the Panthers? Mayfield and Kareem Hunt for McCaffrey. The dollars are about the same. The Panthers would be able to have cap space the following season, or if Baker plays well, they could extend or re-sign him. Same with Hunt. Browns, the Browns' risk is McCaffrey's injury history, but could be a yeah. win-win. What do you think? I have to look at McCaffrey's contract. It's big. Uh, I'm not sure I want two big-time spending running backs. Um, I just I don't think so. Um, In terms of on the field, though, McCaffrey would bring some of what Kareem Hunt does yes. oh, for the he's Browns. A good player. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah, I'd have to just look at. But you always have to look at. See, that's the difference. In baseball, we could talk. Well, you know, you want to pay him, fine, bring him in. Football is like especially after you've made the move for Deshaun Watson and after you've got Miles Garrett's big money kicking in, you then you have to look at these other things. It's a thought. Um, it's, I, I like it in that I've not thought about that for one second. Kareem, I think, has had one year left in his contract, I believe. Um, uh, I think you're right. Yeah, because yep. he signed the two-year $13 million Thing. You know, even in that contract, by the way, David, there was a lot of clauses in there about things he must do. There was a lot of protection uh, for him. It's it, it guaranteed, sort of. <laughs> How's that? I would be surprised if the Browns made that trade myself. I, I, think. I, don't, and I don't know if Carolina want to do that, too. Carolina would probably just want to pick him up for just just pick him up. Yeah, yeah, and and Kareem Hunt, he's from here. They've, it's been a good relationship since they brought yeah, him on. Things that, have been working you know, on. I, because he's been willing to sub subjugate himself to, uh, to be behind Chubb. I'm not absolutely, sure. Absolutely, yeah. To do that. But I mean, if it would mean being able to get 
the Baker Mayfield contract moved, then maybe they would. Who knows? It's an interesting idea. I haven't heard that one. It it would not be something they would say, oh, we'll never do that. They would roll everything out on that to really look at it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's do our last question. This is from longtime listener Kathleen Thompson. She says, hey, Terry, the Cavs really miss Jared Allen. If he doesn't come back soon, can the Cavs make the playoffs without him? Not the top six, that's for sure. And unfortunately, to Kathleen's point, I think they're going to have a rough time in the play-in or whatever without Jarrett. It just he was he was so underrated from the moment they got him, and then to see how he improved his low post game. See, they don't have that low post game anymore. He, the guy shot seventy percent. He didn't miss. I mean, to get fifteen or sixteen points from a guy who never misses, because that was that core when they were when you had Allen and Rubio and Markham and Mobley playing, it, you know, almost didn't matter with the other shooting guard, but usually it was Okoro. You know, that was a tough team. Nobody wanted to play those guys. They really didn't. And I love that team. I love the way they played. They were unselfish. They were tough. And here comes love off the bench. And I mean, they had it and, you know, they could turn around. They want to have Rubio. I mean, it'd be tough to sign Rubio for next year. He's coming off an ACL. You'd really have to see how, how he is, but they do need to find a guard like Rubio because I'm, I'm, I'm still watching Levert, you know, try to fit in. And you can see how hard it is sometimes in the NBA midseason if you're not a marquee player where the whole thing's just going to revolve on, around you. To, yeah, it's great if you're, you're James Harden. You go somewhere else, you're always going to have the ball. It doesn't matter. But like Levert in there, he's struggling. Well, on the ever-changing lineups that the Cavs have been thrown out when Lavert has played, it's it is it's it's disconcerting. Anybody who's played basketball knows what that's all about. So, anything else, Terry? You want to talk about? That is it. I'm going to actually go watch some baseball. All right, I'm going to go pick up my cat who is in the cat dentist chair today, and better your cat than me. They have a little cat suction tube they put in her mouth. They got scratching pads on the dentist chair for no. I'm just making all that up. They don't have any. Who knows? You never know. So uh, we'll see how she does there. She had to have some teeth pulled. So another fun Wednesday. So thanks, Terry, for making the time. Have a great time in Arizona. We'll be reading your stuff. Um, Hey, if you want to get a question onto the podcast, the best way to do it is to catch Terry on his Facebook page. Or if you want to email us, you can do that at sports at cleveland.com and just put, hey, Terry, or Terry's talking in the subject line. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time on Terry's Talking.